Hey, one more story listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Each week the show continues to grow, so thank you to all my incredible guests and listeners who have been sharing one more story with their friends and family. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a review. It is super helpful with the algorithms, I am told. I'm not a scientist or a tech guy. I'm just a a dude with a microphone. And parents, as always, if you'd like to skip ahead to the first story, you can find it at the 12 minute 45 second mark so sit back relax and enjoy tonight's episode welcome to one more story my guest tonight is veteran tv writer showrunner eric rogers whose credits include futurama skylanders academy and the upcoming angry birds mystery island eric welcome to the show thanks for having me pete it's good to see you buddy it's been a bit. Uh, you've you've stayed busy though, which is good. Strangely enough, I uh, and, and as you know, in these very uh, tumultuous times uh, for our industry, I have I have continued to work, which gives me a little bit of a like guilt, but also at the same time, you, you know, you take what you can get, and it's been fun. Animation is my jam, and uh, I love doing it, man. It's. Uh, Luckily, I'm I'm not too bad at it either. I, they they keep hiring me to do these jobs, so uh, you know, knock on wood that those good times keep rolling along. Was animation always something you wanted to do, or how did you how did you come into it? Uh, that is an awesome question. So I I started pursuing this whole screenwriting career when I graduated from college in the late '90s, mid '90s. Oh God. I'm old. And I, I moved to LA from Ohio to, with, you know, stars in my eyes of trying to become, you know, like the next Quentin Tarantino, like a lot of writers, uh, aspiring screenwriters in the 90s, you know, wanted to be. But uh, I, I, I found work in television when I got here to LA. And, uh, you know, I first started off working as a PA on hour-long dramas, and I got to know all the different departments. And being a writer, I learned, you know, what the ladder was for sending up a writing staff on, on a show. So you know, I got a couple writers' assistance jobs, and then script coordinator jobs. And uh, unfortunately, the shows I was on, they kept getting canceled. So we cut to 1998, and I am about to leave the industry because I can't find work. And I get a uh, I get a cold call from someone at 20th Century Fox saying, hey, we have your resume uh, and we see you've been a writer's assistant. And there's this new animated show from the creator of The Simpsons and they're looking for a writer's assistant. And would you like to come in for an interview? And I was like, Heck yeah, I would. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I also the, the second career goal uh, just below being uh, Quentin Tarantino was writing for The Simpsons. So here's Matt Groening creating his next show after The Simpsons, which is called Futurama. And uh, I go in and I interview and I became the first writer's assistant on Futurama back in uh, 1998. And that's really when I had my eyes opened uh, to the world of animation and learned how those writer's rooms worked and how animation is is created what the pipeline is like how voice actors work all all the good stuff it, it was really from there that i was like yeah this i love this this is what i want to do especially if, it, if it's comedy and action driven like futurama is I got my first uh, writing credit on season two of futurama shared credit with a couple of the showrunners from there i just uh i started was able to get work uh after i, I left futurama for a little bit i was at, i was able to get work writing in a lot a lot of kids television kids animation then i went back to futurama 
in 2009 when the show came back and was on Comedy Central. And I uh, really was full on in animation at that point. I, I didn't pursue any other type of writing except writing the occasional screenplay. But, you know, as far as TV went, it was going to be animation or uh, animation was it for me. So, yeah, I got my first uh, full time staff writing job when I was on the second round of Futurama. An episode I wrote got a Writers Guild uh, of America Award nomination, which that was super cool and seemed like see, still seems like a mistake somebody made, but you know I'll take it. Um, <laughs> and and uh, from there, after Futurama was done, I was able to you know go and start pitching my own ideas, and I also was you know I got meetings to pitch my takes on. Um, different companies, intellectual properties or IP as, as we in the industry call it. So um, I, I was lucky enough to land a meeting with Activision. They were bringing uh, Skylanders, the, the video game to, to life as an animated series. And they were having writers pitch their take on what they felt the show could be. And I, I did that and I, uh, I got that job. And that was my first showrunner job. That was awesome. Great experience. You know, taught taught me a lot in both the best and, and worst possible ways of, uh, uh, about how to run a show. How how is that jump? A lot of people don't don't make that leap because show running is so much more than just writing. No, it absolutely is, Pete. And I think that I, I was very lucky in the sense that, you know, the two places I worked the longest that where I wasn't a full-time writer were, uh, I was a script coordinator in NYPD Blue and I was all, and then, you know, working on at Futurama, uh, you know, in, in my writer's assistant job and then as a staff writer. And the two, th- there were two showrunners that I basically watched like a hawk and tried to learn as much as possible from. And one was David Milch, the creator of NYPD Blue. I got a, I got, had a front row seat, even even when he left NYPD Blue, he was still at the Stephen Bochco company, which had other shows going on. And, and David was the showrunner of those shows. And I, so I just watched him do his thing and, you know, tried to soak up as much as I could about how I thought he was successful as a, as a showrunner. And then I did the same thing with my, my showrunner on Futurama, who's David Cohen. And, you know, I just I just took the best. I, I tried to take the best lessons from both of them. And try to apply them to what I was hopeful to, uh, was hoping to be as a showrunner when I got that opportunity. And you're right, going from uh, having a staff writing job uh, and doing it freelance to suddenly being a showrunner, that's uh, it's a crazy thing. Like it just doesn't happen. So when I got that Skylanders gig, I was learning a lot on the fly. You know, like you know, it's like I said, trying to apply these positive things that I learned from these these jobs into this show running gig but it didn't always go smoothly it was definitely a roller coaster at times and you know there there are things i i definitely look back on and go you know hindsight being 2020 and having wisdom and experience and being removed from that now there are definitely things i would have done different and would have kept my head about me a little better at times and or sought out advice on certain things as opposed to trying to think you know the answers but you know I got through two seasons of that, and then I had an opportunity to go to Hasbro and work on um, their Micronauts series as a showrunner there. And then so I went and did that for, we did two seasons of that show, and uh, it's still not announced and still not released, so I don't know what Hasbro's up to, but you know, whatever. But that was a super positive experience because I applied all the things that I learned from the first show running gig into that job. And I felt like I was finally, I was finding my groove and I really knew what I was doing. And, and I was, I felt like I was a good leader at that point. And I then uh, was able to move on from that to now I'm doing this uh, Angry Birds series for, for Amazon and Titmouse. 
house. And uh, I feel like I'm really in the zone now. But that all that also comes from working with really great executives and, and creative artists and uh, other types, producers at Titmouse who just make my life so much easier because they're so good at their jobs. And, and it's just a well-oiled machine. And it's just been such a fantastic, positive experience. And the show is going to just, people are going to love it. It's, uh, it's going to be, uh, we're doing 24 episodes to start. Each is 11 minutes long. That will be premiering, I think, before the end of this year. I, that, that's what I have been told. So we we will we will keep our fingers crossed for that. But um, yeah, I, I'm super 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 happy with this job and, and really thrilled uh, with how it's going along and, and for everybody to see what we're up to. So with your show running responsibilities, you're also a father yourself. You got a lot going on. How do you wind it down at night? You know, I usually will try to find some sporting event to watch. You know, my wife and I, we don't watch a lot of stuff that we both love together. We find the occasional show that we like, but you know, we'll watch an episode of something that we're both into and she'll she'll usually fall asleep while watching it. <laughs> and then I just move on to, uh, you know, finding a baseball game or a basketball game or something like that. I love sports so much that, you know, usually I can usually find something that will, um, that I'm into and will wind down, I can wind down to, and doesn't have to be one of my teams playing. It can be anybody playing and I'm, I'm still into it, especially if it's a baseball or, or a football game or something like that. Your Cincinnati Reds, are actually they're very exciting this year so you can't really go to sleep to them can you yes yeah are you are you a dodgers guy i, I forget well here's the thing i started as an orioles fan ah right okay which has been this year has been amazing super fun yeah all that young talent finally come up through the farm system yes and to follow those guys you know i've always been a fan of the underdog yeah i i did adopt the dodgers when i moved out here because for about 30 years i checked out of baseball i just <laughs> yep. stopped following it yeah didn't didn't really care and then i had kids and yep. my son is a baseball fanatic and my wife and i actually kelly and i met at dodger stadium and her family oh. has a long history yes with with the dodgers so they are my second team got it but you know they've had they had their glory they've got their ring i still root for them i love you know i love mookie i love kershaw I'm yeah so excited kike's back he was yep. he was the heart and soul of that team that's right but you know i'm pulling for my orioles to go far into the playoffs this year and i think oh, they yeah. have a chance yeah, dude, I'm I am very excited about the Orioles as well. The, the Orioles and the Reds are are on very um, similar trajectories. Uh, suddenly, both are long suffering franchises that uh, <laughs> uh, we you you and me and us other fans we have been waiting a long time for these prospects and these kids to come up and you know live up to the the hype that we've been hearing and and they all are doing it like, like on both of our teams like yeah I can't remember you know you correct me if I'm wrong with both of our our teams both teams have called up like four five six rookies this season and they and they all like contribute yeah it's bananas yeah i i don't remember ever uh, you know young guys ever coming up and doing what what these these guys are doing for both these teams and you know so it, you guys are i think way better than we are right now especially because you play in the al east and it's so brutal yeah. but um you know as a long-suffering cincinnati fan of both the Bengals and the reds 
anything positive that comes from either of those teams is just gravy. It's like icing on the cake to me. So I'm just like in this, I live in this little happy bubble of like, I take what I can get when it's good. <laughs> right. So right. Um, right now it's good. Yeah. Well, and Ellie De La Cruz is probably one of the most exciting baseball players to come along in, in a long time. I mean, excluding Shohei Otani, because nobody's doing what Otani's doing. I mean, dude, that guy is just, what a beast. But, um, <laughs> You know, Ellie is Ellie is so much fun to watch, but uh, you know, my, my man my man strikes out a lot, so we got to work on those strikeouts. <laughs> He's still young. He's still young. You got to give so this young. guy's time, right? Yeah, absolutely, dude. But super fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I could talk baseball for hours, and I know we are. I've limited time with you, so let's let's just dive right into the first story, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. So the word is toilet. Once upon a time, there was a middle-aged guy named Dan. Dan always fancied himself as being pretty handy around the house. There was a lot he could do. He could do all the simple things. He could change light bulbs. He could fix broken doorknobs. You know, he had some minor skills in woodworking and he stayed away from electrician type stuff. He didn't he didn't want to get electrocuted and his his wife always knew there were certain boundaries to what he could do and so she was always very very helpful in reminding him of what he was capable of even though he was a very capable guy. One day, Dan clogged his toilet and he had had some stomach discomfort and he had he had clogged his toilet so he did what any middle-aged man named Dan would do and he plunged it and it went down and he felt like he had solved that problem but in the middle of the night he started hearing this gurgling coming from the toilet and it was a very very strange gurgling one that he hadn't heard before and he, and he checked everything was clear so he decided that the toilet you know had they had had this toilet since they had moved into the house. He decided that he was going to replace the toilet. It was one of those old toilets, used a ton of water. He knew that there were some great toilets on the market, you know, the ones with the dual flushing system for number one and number two. And he was a conscientious guy. I mean, he, he, he was a composter. He had a compost bin and he was very, very proud of his compost bin. So his heart was in the right place. And he was a thrifty guy. So he decided he was going to replace the toilet himself. So he watched some YouTube videos, and the next day, he managed to pull the old toilet off. And I don't know if you know this, but when you do, there's just basically a hole in the ground. I mean, it's a pipe, right? And he saw the most curious thing in that hole. So inside of this hole was what could only be described as really a giant mouth. And this took Dan by surprise, like it would anyone who removed a toilet and, and found out that the, the hole where the toilet sat was just this giant creature's mouth. And Dan freaked out a little bit, as anyone would, because it's, it's, it's a lot to, it's a, it's a shock to the system. To, to suddenly discover that your house has been sitting over top of uh, some creature's mouth. And it's also, a, it's a little little weird to think, oh, the place where I 
use the bathroom. I, that's that's a creature's that's a, that's a hole where where a creature's mouth is, and that, that's that's kind of funky. So the creature immediately tries to get Dan to calm down and tells him it's fine, it's fine. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not here to eat you. I am just the mouth that lives under the house. And don't worry about any sort of grossness that you might feel is associated with where this toilet that sat above me was because I'm uh, it's it's not gross to me whereas you and your family you know you you do your business and and and, and then you you flush the toilet and you walk away well that's you know that's kind of what I've been living off of for for a very long time i guess you really could describe me as the toilet monster even though i'm not i'm not really scary i'm not really here to hurt anyone i just have to eat like any other creature does and uh you know i what i choose to eat what i need to eat actually not choose to eat what i need to eat is uh you know this is what you put down the toilet my friend so um so with that being said uh you know i know you're i can see you're replacing this toilet here and uh you know i'm I'm starting to get a little hungry, but uh, are you sh- sure you know what you're doing there, Dan? And Dan takes all this in and, you know, is trying to process it. It, it, it. This is this is a lot to deal with. So Dan, he knows he has to get this cheap toilet that he bought, you know, to replace the, the cruddy toilet back over this hole. But, you know, he's also he's also freaking out a little bit, you know, and he and he. He says, you know, he says to the creature, you know, well, well, before I fix this toilet up, before I put everything back in place, you know, let, let me go tell my wife what's going on. I think she needs to know. And the creature says, no, you, you can't do that. This has to be our secret. This is where I have lived for many a moon. You know, you didn't know I was here before and that didn't bother you. So, you know, don't let it bother you now. Just put the toilet, you know, in place and, um, you know, let's just keep things cool and kosher between us and you know you keep doing your business and i'll keep doing mine how does that sound uh dan the man well dan had to think about this and then figure out what his next move was and dan was in a bit of a quandary because he shared everything with his wife they had a very open trusting relationship but he thought that this just might be too weird to share, and he was having a a crisis of conscience, if you will, because on the one hand, he's always shared everything with her, but on the other hand, there was this mouth living under the toilet, and he was worried that if he told her about the mouth, that she might think that he, I don't know, was kind of losing it. He had been stressed out at work, and he just felt like this this might be something to keep from her. So he did. And and he he replaced the toilet immediately and and as he was putting the toilet over the hole and sealing it, the the mouth gave him a a mouth thumbs up. However that works cuz it was a mouth that didn't have thumbs, but you can you can just use your imagination. It was maybe a nod of approval. It was a hey, what's up man? Thanks for being a good homeowner and giving me a new toilet because he was appreciative of that. And so so Dan just kind of kind of kept it between him and the mouth for a while until one day his wife was on the toilet and Dan hadn't apparently done a very good job of sealing it. 
and you know you have a wax ring that you have to put on and it has to really get on there to seal everything out well he'd kind of done a a subpar job of, of sealing it and she leaned over to to grab the toilet paper and the toilet tipped over there was water everywhere and she stood up and there was the mouth just like staring at her and she was like she freaked out she she didn't know what to do so she screamed and dan came rushing in and she looked at him he looked at her there's water all over the floor there's broken porcelain and they both looked down at the mouth and he looked at her again and he said oh that's okay honey that's that's just the mouth that lives under our toilet we have a a symbiotic relationship he he's not going to hurt you and the mouth said yeah lady it's it's totally cool dan and i go way back but if you can just put a new toilet on so we can keep this thing running cuz this is how this is our relationship this is how it works that would be awesome i'm sorry i i spooked you but yeah if we can just get back to normal that'd be great so she just like she was just not processing this she just left the room to try and calm down she drank some water and Dan put the toilet back on. Well, he got a new toilet. He had to uh, because this one was shattered. So, so Dan went out. He got a new toilet. He gave the mouth a thumbs up. And as he was doing that, she was standing in the doorway. She gave the mouth a thumbs up. She had finally kind of come to her senses and realized that this was sort of normal. And they went on with their days. And this time, you know, Dan put a great seal on it. And occasionally when he, when he was doing, you know, work under the house, when he had to go under the crawl space, he'd see the mouth, he'd give him a thumbs up, the mouth would give him a thumbs up. He was like their little pet, and they had an awesome relationship with the mouth under the house. The end. Eric Rogers, are you ready for your solo story? Let's go. Okay, the word is jumbo. Once upon a time, there was a brother and a sister. They lived in a small town, and small towns don't get a lot of action. There's not a lot that's going on. They're pretty quiet. In order to see the things that you hear about, that you see on the internet, or that you read about in a book. Usually you have to venture from your small town and go to the big city. So this brother and sister, we'll name them Derek and Deanna. Derek and Deanna. Derek and Deanna would spend their quiet days in this small town when they weren't in school or playing baseball or uh, skateboarding at the park. You know, Deanna was just awesome skateboarder. When they weren't spending their days doing the quiet small town stuff that, that they, they loved, they would drink up all that they could on the internet. One day they saw that there was a circus that was coming to their town. Not even just the big city nearby. And not, not the big city. They was coming to their little town. The circus was coming to town. So Derek and Deanna could not have been more excited about this. It's probably the greatest thing that had ever happened to their sleepy hamlet. And of course, they, they asked their 
their two moms if you know they could go to the see the circus and the two moms said of course let's go see the circus why would we say no to that it's going to be the greatest day slash night of our lives so the circus comes to town and Derek and Deanna uh, are probably I think the family was like the first family in line to get in they just wanted to be there and drink it all up and spend as much time as possible you know just soaking it all in because you know they didn't know if they'd ever get the chance to to experience this again it's you know the, cir- the, the circus doesn't come to town very often and it never came to their town so the kids are you know running around and they're just soaking up everything that they can you know they're checking out the lion tamer and you know then they see a lion in person for the very first time and that's blowing their minds and then of course there's the bearded lady you know like the circus freaks that you know that part of the circus and there's the the strong man and you know all all that cool stuff that comes with you know the circus but then it was time for them to take their seats and for the show to begin this is the most exciting exciting moment of their lives, you know, and, and they just barely could contain themselves. So, you know, they, they take their seats with their two moms and they were so excited because there was just, there's, there's, there's never been anything like this in their lives. There's, this was going to be the, the greatest thing ever. The lights go down and the show begins and out of the, the back area, you know, where all the circus performers are hanging out and waiting to, to come on to the, the quote unquote stage are all these clowns. And they just come out on little tricycles and, you know, a clown car comes out and this thing is smaller than a Toyota Prius. And it seems like 50 clowns are just pouring out of this thing until the very end. Then there is, there's just this one giant clown who cannot get out of the car. He is stuck. And this clown's name is Jumbo. Jumbo the Clown. And Jumbo, he he could be considered sort of a circus freak because nobody's ever seen a clown of of this size. This this clown was so big. And one has to step back and wonder, why was Jumbo the Clown inside the tiny clown car trying to do this, this bit with all the other clowns? Well, Jumbo just wanted to be like all the other clowns, right? He wanted to do clown things. He just wanted to wear the makeup and have have a squirty rose and, and have oversized shoes. Just, you know, be a regular clown. Just despite the fact that this guy, Jumbo, is probably like 10 feet tall and 500 pounds. He was a, a giant. But, he, you know, he insisted on being part of the clown car act because he wanted to do what all the other clowns did. So here is Jumbo, and he is, like, literally, his it's like a head and a foot have to come out of the car as he's the last to get out of this clown car. And all the other clowns are standing there, rolling their eyes, just shaking their heads. They're admonishing him. We tried to tell you, Jumbo, not to do the clown car thing. We told you there wasn't room in the clown car for you. One of the clowns even takes his squirting rose and squirts it in Jumbo's face. You know, as just kind of like an exclamation point on top of this finger wagging that they're doing about why Jumbo just had to be inside the clown car with all the other clowns. While these clowns are upset with their friend and, the, you know, the master of ceremonies is nearby and he's just shaking his head with disgust. And the audience is murmuring and getting louder and wondering, you know, what the heck is going on here? What's this? Is this the circus? What is this what we paid our good money for? And, and we're so excited to see... While this is all happening, Derek and Deanna decide they're not going to just sit here and watch Jumbo struggle. They jump out of their seats and they go down 
and they actually give Jumbo their hands and they help pull this big old clown out of this tiny clown car. And it was with Derek and Deanna's help that Jumbo finally emerges and he stands up and he stretches out and he reveals you know, himself in, in all of his Jumbo glory. He gets a little stage fright and he's looking around because everyone's looking at him and the spotlight's on him. But then he feels on each side of him, these two tiny hands grabbing basically a pinky and a thumb because that's how big his hands were. And he looks down and there's Derek and Tiana and they're saying, don't be nervous. You're the star of the show. Just go do your clown stuff and make everybody laugh. And everybody's going to be so happy because the show can go on. And that's all Jumbo needed to hear to get his confidence back and puff up his chest and go grab a pie and smash it right into the face of the clown that squirted the rose and in, in the squirty rose in, into his face. And the clown that did that, the clown that took the pie to the face, actually laughed because now they're back to doing clown things. And the master of ceremonies is finally breathing a sigh of relief. And he's got his got a smile on his face because now the circus can continue. And Derek and Deanna and their two moms were ushered down from their okay seats to the VIP section of the circus. And they got to watch the rest of the show in this VIP section, which is just right on the floor. And they got to be kind of like be part of the show themselves. And it ended up being just as Derek and Deanna wanted it to be the greatest night of their lives. And before the circus left town, Jumbo gave them his email address and he told them to stay in touch. And Derek and Deanna did that. And they have been friends ever since. And Jumbo was such an inspiration to them both that Derek decided to apply to Clown College and he got a scholarship and he'll be going there in the fall of 2027. The end. <laughs>